As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Aldrats are a big old step back from the ledge for Canuck Nation. A win over the Ottawa Senators doesn't cure all that ails the Vancouver Canucks, but as we launch into this VanCast, the morning after a 7-1 romp over the Sens, the first of three against the opponents from the nation's capital. A lot to like and a lot to chew on, obviously, as the depth of this Canuck lineup continues to step up. The search for the top end... Uh, is ongoing as well, but uh, what a night for Brandon. <laughs> You're putting night. an APB out? You're yeah. putting an APB out for the lotto line? Yeah, I mean, who needs the lotto line? <laughs> when, who needs the lotto line when you got a Brandon Sutter in your lineup? But, true, true. But come on. It's, I mean, just the, It is crazy to think that the Canucks scored five against Montreal and Petey didn't have a point, and then they up the ante, they score seven against Ottawa, I that know. eight goals in the game, and the lotto line is on the ice for one of them, and it's the Senators' only goal. So some things don't make sense, but really, it was a night that belonged to Brandon Sutter and Thatcher Demko, and to a lesser degree, Nils Hoaglander. All the Canucks need now is for Eric Goodbranson to have noted post game that they can't lose like that to a team like that, right? Mm. Uh, so that the Canucks can get rolling. Uh, Reminds you a little bit, like it reminds me a little bit of that 7-3 home opener victory over the Kings, except that, of course, that gate win came a little bit earlier in the season. But, you know, it just, the Canucks were 0-2 for 2 in the season in 2019-2020. They play the Kings, they shellack them on opening night in Vancouver, and Brandon Sutter has three assists, right? Which honestly is probably more unlikely than a Brandon Sutter hat trick, right? Totally, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and sort of got the ball rolling for this team. You'd, you'd hope that a win of this margin, a win this convincing, in a game that was must-win, because let's be honest, and, and J-Pat, I do want to talk about this a bit. I feel like the last five days of Canucks coverage have been as silly as anything I can remember Certainly on Canucks Twitter, 
in in the last decade. Like as silly as the depths of the Tortorella era, uh, as silly as the like like darkest days of the Luongo endless trade speculation. Uh, the idea that you'd fire a general manager seven days into a pandemic shortened season in which they can't really affect any change meaningfully on their roster anyway. And additionally, have just cut 20% of their player personnel budget. Uh, that one really, honestly, it caught me a little bit off guard. I was a little bit surprised by the intensity and depths that it reached this quickly, especially because it just doesn't make sense. Like, it would be a historic undue overreaction from ownership. Were, were Jim Benning to be terminated this week based on the club's performance against the Ottawa Senators? And yet... You know, I don't think there's nothing to it, but I do think it got a little silly uh, this week. And I, ju I just want to touch on that and note that because honestly, it was preposterous. Like it was preposterous that the pressure was amped up to this extent on this club. Uh, you know, Sutter saves Benning, though, is a fun headline. And I hope one <laughs> of the dailies ran with it. Look, Canuck Twitter can be a savage place. And there was some pretty damn funny stuff. With that oh. storyline of Sutter and the bottom six being the ones that rise up to, you know, to take the heat off the gym. I, I didn't think, like, I I'm with you that the temperature got ridiculously high this early in the season, but they were two and five and looking like they were ready to come unhinged. So it is, in yes. some ways, fair to say that, like, imagine just the noise on Canucks Twitter if they had lost to the Senators after what happened in the series against Montreal. I didn't think the knives were out as much for Jim Benning as they were on that Thanksgiving Monday after the first of the four no, I agree had walked you. away, but it was getting there. And had the Canucks lost to the Senators, we may have been right back in that spot if they were a two and six hockey club. Mm -hmm. And like the goals against, you know, 33 in the first seven is just stupid. Like when you just stop and think about the math there. And we've touched on the fact they haven't even seen the Leafs. Like if the Canucks were to continue to play that kind of defense, and then you run into, uh, on this road trip coming up, you got Montreal again, and that's clearly not a matchup that favored the Canucks in the early going. And then you see the Toronto Maple Leafs. So they needed a night like Monday. Uh, I think they needed a night just where they had some fun. It, it You know, the, the pressure valve was released for a night. Again, yes. it doesn't it doesn't cure all the day. They gave up 36 shots. That's way too many against an Ottawa team. But they needed a goaltending performance, and they got that. So good mm -hmm. for Thatcher Demko. I think he has earned the first of consecutive starts now. Uh, we'll see how that plays out on Wednesday. But with back-to-backs, both guys are going to play again here. Uh, but Demko is that good. Like I, I thought Thatcher Demko, when I think of late in the first period, I uh, got a piece of the tyranny shot that deflected off the crossbar. Like, I thought it in, in real time, I thought it just hit the crossbar. But the replay clearly showed that Demko got enough of that with the glove. Uh, then Connor Brown gets in behind the Canucks defense. That could have been a, a deflating goal. We've already seen them give up mm. a couple of buzzer beaters this season. And then the save on Anisimov on the power play could have been three to two. Instead, that stop, a great glove save, and Sutter goes the other way and scores the shorthanded goal. Now all of a sudden it's four to one, and the game really was over at that point. So uh, yeah. a lot to like in Thatcher Demko's game. He needed that because, look, his numbers were off the charts bad and, and sort of a reflection of the uh, just the fire drill in front of him when he'd been in there already. <laughs> yeah. So good for Demko. But I keep coming back to the fact, and, and I'm glad you brought that up about Sutter too, because like this guy's statistical profile in the NHL is bizarre. It is. 
He's got two 21-goal seasons and a pair of 17-goal seasons, including one with the Canucks, and yet has never had 20 assists in an NHL season for a guy who has predominantly been a center playing in a top three role wherever he goes. And so I Mm -hmm. still... You know, I'm still leery of him being a puck distributor playmaker. If I'm one of his wingers, it doesn't bode well. But when we did our goal predictions, I said, like, he he can score. He's got a shot. And you saw it on the, the shorthanded snapshot. Like, that was a big-time uh, goal. He's got a lethal backhand. Shades of Paul Correa. <laughs> <laughs> he was offered uh, he was offered the chance to post game i think it was wagner that asked him like is that something you've been working on and he just laughed at it. it's like nah. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate the self-effacing right like brandon sutter's a self-aware guy and and a good guy to talk to right like oh he's a you good know, only dude. took 13 yeah. years yeah he's yeah. a great dude and and so you're you're happy to see a guy like that play a game like that uh incredible that was a career night and you know scored three like, they were beautiful goals, too, right? I mean, Matt Murray barely had time to react to the second one. Um, yeah. It was it was amazing. So, no, look, good for him. Uh, a huge win. Like, just a win that they needed so badly. And and now we can go back to sort of covering this team in, in a, at a more normal decibel level, right? Like, the dial had cranked up to 15 out of 10. Uh, six, seven games into the season. It, it, it was so silly. And, you know, yeah, look, it was a big win. And and look, I think the Demko point is well made. And and I actually want to talk a little bit about the goaltending platoon here. Because we're at a perfect split to this point in the season, 4-4. And we will be at 5-5 following a back-to-back set this week against Ottawa on Wednesday and Thursday. There is no daylight, really, separating these two goaltenders based on their performance to this point. 890 save percentage for Demko, 888 for Holtby. Demko has the slightly higher GAA because he was in net when the Canucks got shelled 7-3 against the Canadians. And based on the underlying numbers too, like Demko has been worth 0.16 additional saves above expected goals. And Holtby has been 0.16, a mirror image number below, right? So it's a swing of a third of a goal in terms of expected goals saved versus versus permitted Uh, essentially they've performed identically and the fact that they're both basically average and have save percentages like well short of 900 is a massive massive indictment uh, of the way that this team has played defense right like the across the board performance relative to the rest of the league and i know they're kind of in their own mini league of seven but compared to all 31 nhl teams the canucks are permitting Shot attempts, uh, expected goals, scoring chances, unblocked shot attempts at the highest rate, five on five, of any team in the NHL. And going into Monday night's game, JPAT, they were also permitting goals against at the highest rate in the NHL. And they're now permitting goals against at the second highest rate of the N- in the NHL. And it's not because they were so good defensively against Ottawa. It's because they scored so much that they bumped Ottawa in the first yeah. place. <laughs> Uh, so across the board, like trailing in the league. And when you look at their games, like all three of the Canucks wins have one commonality, which is that they've held their opponent to below 3.1 expected goals in all of those games. 3.1 expected goals is a lot of expected goals to surrender, right? Like that's a lot, but this team clearly still, even with what we've seen from the lotto line, right? Like even with the APB you're putting out, and I just want to note that it's you putting it out. Um, <laughs> even with that, this team's floor 
in terms of how good they have to be. Like, they don't have to be great defensively. They don't even have to be good defensively. They just have to be not the absolute worst in the NHL across the board, and they're going to be competitive. They have to be able to do that. Like, they have to be able to do that. Ultimately, though, it does start a little bit, I think, anyway, with, you know, their top players controlling play a bit more, right? Like, if they're not, if if with Hughes and Pedersen on the ice, they're surrendering chances against instead of defending by controlling the Puxedine style 150 feet away from their own goal, uh, I just don't think they're going to be able to be, you know, like 25th, the 25th best defensive team in hockey. That's all they have to do to be competitive. And to this point anyway, um, <laughs> they're not even hopping over that extraordinarily low bar. Well, look, through seven games after Saturday night when people started the freakout, they'd given up 33 goals in their <laughs> first seven games, right? Like right. If, they, if they had given up 23 goals in their first seven, we would have been talking about that as an issue. More than three a game, as you talked about the expected goal. Totally. If they had been given up, like, you can't win. I mean, people always talk about it being a 3-2 league, league, you know, the race to three, and you're giving up more than three. That would have been an issue had their raw goal total been 23 goals against. It was 33. Like, it, it yeah. did boggle the mind. So, you know, you talk about this sort of open competition between Demko and Holtby. Demko now has one in the column of, you know, goaltenders stepping up. That's something that Holpe hasn't done yet. And he'll have his nights as the season goes along. But just in terms of one guy trying to emerge here, uh, it had been a tough go for Demko. But he rose to the challenge. Like, he was good. And I know it's the Ottawa Senators and they don't have a ton of finishing. But that's why I just think it was an important night for, for Thatcher Demko. And... Look, I'll take it. If if it's me putting out the APB on the lotto line, I do know that they exist because I could hear JT Miller uh, throughout the night on Monday. So I, I heard him. I'm not sure that I saw an awful lot of him, but there's just a funky vibe around him and them and the fact that Miller hasn't scored yet and his underlying numbers are brutally bad. Like, yes, you know, awful. to go from controlling 60% of the shot attempts last year and outscoring opponents at a 2-to-1 margin when he was on the ice to 35% of controlling the shots? Like, what? A, that's just a seismic drop. And for Pedersen to be sitting here with, with two points at the eight-game mark, like, look, we've had fun with our stake bet, and we'll continue to chart that as we go. But I feel like we have to have sort of an emergency micro-wager on this VanCast right here, right now. And that is, I need you, and then I'll do it myself. I need you to pick a game number when Elias Pettersson will surpass Brandon Sutter in goals scored this season. At the eight-game mark, it's four for Sutter, one for Petey. I don't think at the end of the year that Brandon Sutter is going to outperform Elias Pettersson. So you got to come up with a game number for me. Where that night where we mark it down that for the first time this season, Elias Pettersson has more goals than Brandon Sutter. There are no stakes to this. This is sort of like a non-conference game, if you will. But you tell me the game number that Pettersson will have more goals in the goal column than Brandon Sutter. I'm talking about on the season. I'm not saying with the game. I'm just saying at what point will we say, okay, there you go. I look at the stats and Petey's ahead of Brandon (laughs) Sutter. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> this is this is real life. <laughs> um okay, okay. I'm going to predict that it occurs on February 19th against the Winnipeg Jets and that is 1 2 3 so 11 13 14 15 16 19 I'm guessing 22 games. All right. That's a, I had twenty three in my mind. Game twenty three. So wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So we so. both think it'll happen against Connor Hellebuck. Um. Yeah. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. I. I mean the the, the lotto line being out of sorts. Like at least they care, right? Like, that, like at least just, they're mad. Just think for a second. That is nuts, Tom. We're talking about it taking half a season for Elias Pettersson to pass Brandon well, Sutter in goals. There's just not a lot going on there, right? And 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 let's talk about let's talk about. Um, let's talk about the special teams really quickly, right? Sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Preposterous. Um, I know, it's so ridiculous. But there's just, you know, uh, and this brings me back to a point I want to make about special teams, which is five games into the season, I was looking at the underlying profile and I was like, I have no concerns about the power play. The power play will be fine. They're generating a ton. Terrible finishing luck. The PK, oh my goodness. Like, it looks like a man on fire, right? Yep. And now we get to the eight game, and this is, you know, fun with small samples. Now we get to the eight game mark. The Canucks have killed off 16 of their last, uh, of their opponent's last 17 power play opportunities, right? Um, And in so doing, have been stingy enough in terms of what they've given up that instead of being the tire fire that they looked like midway through the Montreal miniseries, the PK all of a sudden looks like it's competent, right? Like they're average or better pretty much across the board, including by kill rate, which is like creeping quickly toward 80%. They're above 75, like 18th uh, out of 31, right? So the PK is sort of rounded into form. Last night was the first time I actually got nervous about the Canucks power play being elite or not. I mean, they're only converting at 12%. They've had bad finishing luck. They've given up a, a, a bunch of shorties, plus one goal differential, I think, through eight games. Wild for a team that feasted on the power play last year. When I looked and watched that puck movement, though, right? When I watched, like, there was that moment where Pedersen sizes up Murray and then just dishes the simple play back to Hughes, right? Doesn't even make a play, doesn't move his feet. Just just a simple dish back to the point. I, I was just like, oh my goodness, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I actually expect this power play to really light it up again. Um, at least not the way they did last season. And they're not going to until Pedersen's shot is really lethal, right? Like, without Pedersen taking that one-timer willingly and scoring a few... It's not going to demand that year two respect that opens things up for Bo Horvat. And if things aren't open up for Bo Horvat, their primary trigger man, then they're relying on point shots, uh, greasy Brock Besser goals in the slot, and you know JT Miller wrist shots. Uh, all of all of which is like all of those are good, dangerous options, but they should be your third, fourth, fifth option behind you know this howitzer one timer from the <laughs> one of the NHL's premier marksmen and. Uh, a thirty percent Bo Horvat <laughs> shot from the high slot. Uh, their power play began to concern me last night, based on what we saw against Ottawa. Um, they really need, they really need Pedersen to get going there. They really need Pedersen and the Lotto line uh, to get going at five on five. 
Oh, I think we answered our own question. Uh, the the power play is going to catch fire mid February in Winnipeg. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, at some point, at some point, Pedersen's too good. Sure. To keep to keep this, but whatever's looks, going on. But he looks hesitant. Then there was a couple There's of something up. There were a couple of indications there last night with clean looks, and he either passed it off or. You know, muffin, and and that's not a word we've ever associated with Elias Pettersson. Ever. But he's just just kind of lofting pucks into the goalie's breadbasket. Like that's not going to get it done. So no. yeah, I, it just there is there's a funky vibe right now around that top end, and like you and I talked about this in the press box during the game. If I had come to you and said Thomas Drance, eight games into the season, the Canucks are going to have nine goals from bottom six forwards: four from Sutter, three from Mott, one each from Vertanen and Godet. You would have told me they were off to a seven and one start, right? Because well, how about this one? How about this one with Sutter and Beagle on the ice? If you told me with Sutter and Beagle on the ice, eight games into the season, at five on five, the Canucks like, and no, I don't mean together. Like with Sutter yeah. and Beagle on the ice, cumulatively in aggregate, the Canucks would have been outshot by two, outshot by two right. through eight games. I would have told you, oh, the Canucks are probably first in the division, and everyone's getting ahead of themselves, right? Like, that's how good they've been. That's how yep. good the bottom six has been. Um, I liked Green, like, I liked last night, the media sort of asked Sutter, like, Are, is the bottom six playing well? And Sutter is like, uh, you know, de- de- demures. And then Green's asked about it, and Green's like, yeah, they are. <laughs> like that, you know, there's no question. They they are not our issue right now. And that's surprising, but you got to be able, like, the logic of this team is that they should be feasting in the stretches when the Canucks' bottom six is holding their own. It shouldn't be the Canucks' bottom six buying their top end the time they need to find their game, right? And and look, maybe that's an unreasonable expectation to have of a, of a 22-year-old top-line center and a 21-year-old defenseman, although I don't think Quinn Hughes has struggled <laughs> personally. Like, I, I mean... There's been some moments in his own end, but uh, for me, I don't think Hughes is off to a slow start uh, in quite the same way that Pedersen is. But, you know, it, it just the logic of this team requires their best young players to be their best players. And and if they're, you know, as, as much as there's roster construction flaws, as much as the cap allocations, you know, uh, problematic is probably the tactful way of putting, <laughs> putting it, right? Disastrous, catastrophic, all probably fair. Um, as much as that's all true, like... With the way the lotto line's being deployed, you know, 70% plus offensive zone starts, Pedersen spending over 50% of his five-on-five ice time with Hughes, like, everything is being done to allow these guys to be successful, and, and to this point, they just haven't been on their game for the first time in their careers. It's it's honestly baffling. Like, I, I'm really struggling to figure out, like, what's, what's wrong with the juju around yep. Vancouver's best young players who've been so dominant. In, in every sort of look and test they've had or, or faced at the NHL level to this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, Tom, you and I always check in on our high-stakes steak dinner bet and seemed like a good night with Brandon Sutter scoring. Uh, tie it into some Alberta beef as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, Sutter... You and I, I had him at eight, you have him at seven. So by the end of next week, he should reach my total and then everything's gravy from that point on. So I'm excited about that one. But in the same breath, uh, one of the swing guys in this bet, we've talked a lot about Bo Horvat and a six goal differential. Uh, you've got him at 23, I have him at 17. So I was quite happy when he hit the post and Quinn Hughes uh, <laughs> scooped in and collected the re- both posts, <laughs> in fact. But another swing yes. guy, and this leads me into sort of the hockey theory. gods are already taking care of you, Jay Pat. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the hockey gods because uh, the hockey god isn't playing right now for the Vancouver right. Cats. I have him with a dozen. You got him with nine. I don't know if he's going to score uh, more than big, one big this season if me. he's if he doesn't get into the lineup. Look at the outset of this year, you were sort of ahead of the curve here with you know we talked about a top six forward or a top four defenseman and what do the Canucks need. And you kind of bang the drum, like, you know, quietly, that third-line center is something to watch. And mm-hmm. the Canucks, I think they wanted to believe that Adam Gaudet was part of the solution now, but also, you know, a piece of the future here, moving forward. And this is sort of worst-case scenario for Gaudet. Like, six games into the season, yeah. you become a healthy scratch, and you're right back to using Brandon Sutter and look, Sutter is sort of that security blanket for Travis Green. He's versatile. He's been a center. He's played the wing. And then he steps in and follows up the great backhand goal against Montreal with three. He's not coming out of that position. Like, I, I no. doubt that Adam Gadek gets back into the lineup on Wednesday, certainly, because Travis Green is sort of loath to change a, a winning lineup. But there are bigger picture questions at play here now for Adam Gaudet, who clearly, in the eyes of this head coach, hasn't done enough. Uh, you know, he scored on opening night. That was nice. Nice shot. Get off to a decent start. Uh, that's his only goal, though. And the Canucks have been outscored 4-1 to one at even strength in limited minutes, right? That's the other thing, too, is yeah. Gaudet barely plays. And even at that, uh, Canucks have been outscored 4-1 to one at evens when he's been on the ice. So what do you think is going on? And how do you project? Like, where does this thing go now for the Canucks and for Adam Gaudet? Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, we need to see him get back in the lineup, but if he's not getting an opportunity to play major minutes, and what, is his time on ice per game, like, below 10, yes. right? Yeah. Like, he's he's being used as a fourth-line center, and if this club views him as a fourth-line center, uh, you know, that's problematic. Like, this is a guy who scored at a 40-point pace a year ago, right? He was He was probably their best trade asset this summer. Right, probably their best trade asset at the deadline last year, and now he's a healthy scratch. Now he's a healthy scratch, and he's going to have arbitration rights following this off season. Um, you know that's that's tough. Like that's a tough spot to be in with a good young player who's got a lot of talent. Um, obviously, he's got a tremendous shot. I think his playmaking ability has come along very quickly at the NHL level, and I think his two way ability has come a, a, along at a good clip. But he's still at a point where when I think about Gaudet, like the thing I like the most about his game is his work rate. 
And yet it was pointed out to me by, you know, a veteran talent evaluator uh, that Godet, you know, you notice Godet's work rate in part because he never has the puck. And that was sort of this glass shattering moment for me where I was like, you're right. You're right. Like that, that's right. And so, you know, Godet's going to need to figure out how to play with the puck a little more. Uh, if he's going to be that third line center, he's going to need to be able to kill penalties and he's going to need to be able to win 45% of faceoffs at least, at least minimum. Um, you know, to this point, none of that's happened for him. And, and clearly, you know, when given the choice between Beagle, Sutter, or Godet, Godet's the fourth line center, right? Like Godet's the guy who plays fourth line minutes. And that's been true. That was true last year too, even when he was, you know, extraordinarily productive. Um, look, he's going to get back in. I think, I think Green knows Knows that Godet knows that he needs Godet knows that the organization needs Godet and I think he likes his game at the end of the day like I, at the end of the day I don't think this is a you know personal thing or or something that really speaks to how how Godet is rated internally but you know it's a bad sign for a guy in a make or break year that he's out of the lineup you know three straight games this early into the season uh, the book's not written yet right there's still time for him to bounce back but you know this just looks to be a tough situation for a rapidly depreciating asset and something that I think is going to give the Canucks a ton to stew on because there's huge expansion implications. Like Godet remains, I think your best piece. If you're going to go out and look to acquire, you know, that additional defenseman to use a pr- one of the open protected slots on. Right. Um, I still think that's something that the organization has to keep front of mind as they go through the season. And, and, you know, I've called it probably the, the biggest storyline in addition to Hughes and Pedersen in terms of the big picture of what this team needs, you know, if they're hoping to be a contender in 2022, 2023, right. Um, landing that, you know, top four defenseman from a team with protection issues is essential. And, and, you know, I, I can't get over the fact that as I size up this roster, Godet's probably their best chip and, it hurts that goal. Like it hurts the club's long-term interest if he's spending a ton of time out of the lineup. Um, But again, you know, that's sort of uh, what happens when you end up with your back against the wall early, right? You got to press whatever buttons you have, whatever buttons you can to get the team back on track. And additionally, and I'd add this too, this is also the problem with having a head coach who's in a lame duck situation, right? He's not going to, have the incentive. And again, this is not an aspersion on Green's character, and I'm not saying removing Godet from the lineup is short-term thinking. Like, clearly it's worked, right? Like, clearly they've won a few games, and they needed to do that. That was more important than anything else, probably. But, you know, in terms of thinking long-term, there's a couple decisions now. Louis Erickson not going to the American League, and Godet being out of the lineup this early in the season that give you pause uh, about you know, the incentives at play for a coach in the last year of his deal who can't really afford reputationally to have a team bottom out as opposed to thinking globally about what needs to be evaluated and what's in the long-term best interests of the club. And, and you know, these are fair questions. It's not, they're not fair for Travis, but they're fair for the organization because they put him in that position. They put him in a position where every decision of this magnitude or this order sort of comes with a you know, optic, like the optics of, is this short-termism, is this self-interest, or is this an organizational decision that is, is in the club's best long-term interests? And, you know, that sucks for everyone, uh, but that's the spot they're in.
No, I mean, they're damn fair questions. Certainly damn fair to address on a podcast like this one. And, and yeah, I, I think like it's great that you lay all that out there because uh, I agree. Like it's not just, all right, he isn't performing well. It's the trade value. It's the expansion, as you pointed out. So just uh, I think there's a number of things for people to keep in mind there mm-hmm. as this situation goes on for Adam Gaudet, who has underachieved and underperformed to the point that Travis Green clearly felt that sitting him down and, and sliding Sutter to the middle uh, was the best option for the hockey club, and it's hard to argue on Monday night. Now, I'm with you. Gaudet will get back in there uh, at some point. It's just a question of when. One guy that's not coming out of the lineup anytime soon is Nils Huglander. Uh, I think I got that right for our <laughs> podcast audience. But, yeah. but honestly, like we raved about him in training camp, and, and, and rightly so, but that was training camp, his first NHL training camp. And there was no preseason. And so those questions, I think, were fair and valid about, great, like y- you couldn't ask for a better training camp. Now let's see you do it against NHL opponents. And he scores in his debut, and that was great. And then the points kind of dipped a little bit, and there were some quiet nights, but all of a sudden he's on a three-game point streak. He's got four points in eight games, so he's a half a point a game guy. The effort, the sellout to make, and not just make the effort, but then to execute the pass to Tanner Pearson. Yeah, it was a great pass. was incredible, and Tom, <laughs> on a three-game point streak, he's got three, three points in three games, and I had to look this up. Those three points are more than Louis Erickson has had the last 17 times he's worn a Canuck jersey uh, going back through the bubble and into last regular season. And with four points already, that matches Erickson's production the last 28 times that Louis has suited up for the Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, Ugh, I'm going to be sick. Louis played. <laughs> Louis had a role. We get that, right? But there were zero yeah. offensive expectations. Like He had been completely neutered, and the team seemed fine that... There just there, there was nothing there in the way of expectations. Now Hoaglander steps in. He's holding his own defensively. The underlying numbers show that, but there was offensive value there. Like he has stepped in and been every bit as good as the Vancouver Canucks could ever have hoped this early in his career. They have a young Swede who is performing above expectations on this team right now. It's not Elias Pettersson. It is Nils Hoaglander. <laughs> Nils Hooglander. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to get this right. I'm going to go with Hoag. Hooglander. Uh, look, he's been awesome. He's been awesome. The best shift last night wasn't even the Superman pass, though that was cool. And I loved him downplaying it afterwards. I was just trying to get the puck pass to defenseman. Like, yeah, no kidding. But you did it amazingly. That was unreal. That was an incredible pass. And yet my favorite shift by far was the one where he spins off, you know, Zaitsev, the Zaitsev check in the corner and then comes to the front of the net, and there's a Senator's defender, like, all over, mugging him, right? He draws the penalty. But he somehow gets two shots on net. I honestly have no idea how he got those shots on net. Uh, but that's just motor. Like, that's just motor. That's just effort. That's just low center of gravity being used the right way. That's a five foot nine guy who plays like he's six foot four. You love it. Like, you love to see it. It's great. And, man, has he been a good fit on... The new Canucks top line, <laughs> like the Horvat <laughs> line has been monstrous and they were monstrous against Ottawa. That They were, they were driving the bus. They were the engine and Horvat's been that for the Canucks all season. Um, he was doubly that uh, against the Senators. Uh, I think, I think Hoaglander's nitrous um, for that engine 
uh, it's really helped. And, you know, clearly he's found immediate chemistry with Horvat and with Pearson. And I think he's earned that respect because he plays a, a little bit of a mature game, right? Like this is not a skill guy. It's not a skill guy getting opportunities because there's no better options. Like this is clearly one of Vancouver's six best forwards, probably one of their three best forwards in the early going this season. Uh, he's he's not just on that second line. He's helping them be, you know, what they've been to this point, which is clearly Vancouver's most lethal trio. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We sort of have tried here early in the season to check in with the Canucks roster roulette a little bit. And... You know, Jordy Ben comes out of COVID protocol, steps in, gets paired with Quinn Hughes, and has looked pretty good. You know, you mentioned the penalty kill, and fair, unfair, something, nothing, I don't know. But the penalty kill has taken off since Travis Hamonic got injured. And and that was an area he struggled. Like, it, it was. And that was an area that he was supposed to contribute. He led the Calgary Flames in shorthanded ice time last year. And that was an area that I think the Canucks felt that he could uh, do a lot of the Chris Tanavy things. And so, uh, I'm not throwing it all on Hamnick, but the penalty kill was an area that uh, he was getting scored on at an alarming rate, and and so who knows? Uh, he's uh, on IR. We don't know when he's going to get back in there, but Jordy Bennett looked, I think, better than okay. Like, good for him. This was a guy that, you know, was out of the lineup more than he was in over the second half last season. Uh, I didn't know where he fit in the depth chart, and we saw the night last week where they had to plug all the young guys in, and that didn't go so well for the Vancouver Canucks, and so... Uh, some credit to Jordy Mann. He just he stepped in and kind of been a, a stabilizing force for them. Yeah, I call him I call that the accidental second pairing in my new column at the Athletic today. And I think the Canucks may have unintentionally stumbled into something. Like I don't think Ben playing right side with Hughes was ever going to be a top consideration for Green in in a normal world where injuries sort of didn't force his hand. But I think it's I think. I think it's something that should get some run based on its look through two games. I, I thought Ben was really steady, really steady against Ottawa on Monday night. I thought he was pretty good on Saturday against the Canadians too. He is so patient when he breaks the puck out. Now there was a sort of ridiculous sequence where he was so patient while breaking the puck out. And then he lofted a, a dump in over the glass and like cleared all of the, all of the Montreal end of the ozone. Uh, on Monday night, but that doesn't change the fact that Ben's overall patience and his overall defensive reliability, um, I think that's exactly what Hughes needs, right? Like Hughes, Hughes hasn't had a dynamo start to the season, but I still think he's been, you know, Vancouver's best defenseman. I mean, clearly. And I, I still think he's been really good. The problem is, is that right now, anyway, in terms of the quality that the Canucks are giving up when Hughes is on the ice, it's been pretty high. And and part of that is that, you know, I don't think Travis Hamannick came in at 100% full form, right? And there were some mistakes there that sort of compounded. Uh, you know, you think about him chasing across the ice to get a retributive hit after Quinn Hughes got clocked, right? Um, ben, I think, at least, like, even though he spent that 10 days in protocol and couldn't work out, um, I just think he's... 
pretty steady, uh, steadier at this point through two games than we've seen from Hamannick yet. Um, I think he can do, you know, not not everything that Chris Tanev did, but 80%. And I think he might be the best fit there, especially in that it allows the Canucks to spread the wealth el- elsewhere, right? Right now, that means Yolevian Myers, and it means Edler Schmidt. Edler Schmidt had a really good game on Monday against Ottawa. But when Hamannick comes back, maybe it means, you know, Schmidt, Hamannick, Edler, Myers, right? Like, what about an Edler Myers third pair? I mean, that sounds fantastic, right? Like, that's that's where you start cooking with oil. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of options that get opened up if you're able to plant Ben with Hughes. I think this could work. In fact, I think it could work well enough that it sort of changes the complexion of the Canucks defense core. And that's something they just kind of stumbled into as a result of emergency, which is, you know, what often happens for sort of depth players capable of, of playing a role. But, you know, who, who no one sort of pencils into that role in an ideal world on, on a whiteboard. So, um, you know, I'm really interested to see this experiment continue. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty encouraged by how it's looked through two games. So just a couple of things about Quinn Hughes to finish up here. Uh, like, yeah, it hasn't been a great start for him. Defensively, he's been on the ice for a ton of goals that we're just not used to seeing. Uh, he hasn't had one of those nights where, you know, you walk away and you think, like, hands down, best player on the ice. And those are coming through all of that. He's tied with Jeff Petrie for the league lead in scoring by defensemen. Like, he just, he drips offense. Like, it's incredible how points follow this guy around yeah. the ice. And further to that, he's got more even strength points than power play points. He's got four at evens and three on the power play. And we talk about it. Like, even if it's not where it was last year, the power play will score some goals. He'll pick up some points there. So, like, it's just, it is incredible what a point-generating yeah. guy he is. And further to that, his next game, Wednesday night, will be his 82nd career regular season game. Oh, it's, nice. It's taken a while, almost two calendar years, when you think of the five that he got in at the tail end of that first year, and then last year with the season broken up by COVID, and here we are. So it's been chunky to get to 82 career regular season games. But he'll do that on Wednesday night. In 81 career regular season NHL games, Quinn Hughes has 63 points. So, like, we're looking finally, you can say, like, you know, over the course of one complete full se- This guy's like a 65-point defenseman, which is just, you know, we went through it last year where he was just smashing all these things, and every time the league would put out these, he hasn't, you know, this hasn't happened since Ray Bork or Al McKinnon. Like, you know, just <laughs> yeah. stupid company to keep. But uh, like, that just kind of frames it, I think, that... Over 82, he's looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 63 to who knows how many points he'll have against the Sens. If the Sens are as leaky as they were uh, on Monday night, you know, give Hughes a couple more. 65 points in his first 82 NHL regular season games is just off the charts good. Yeah, And I think that would be top five all time if that was all done in in a rookie season. So pretty incredible. Uh, Look, he's an amazing player. And... Ty, what, second behind Ty Smith, New Jersey Devils super rookie Ty Smith has five five-on-five points in his first five games yeah. uh, leading the NHL. So Hughes' four even strength points are tied with Michael Delzato, <laughs> among others, for second. Um, small sample quirks, baby. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, look, Quinn Hughes is amazing. Just amazing. Like, you have to laugh sometimes while watching him play. It is truly incredible. 
Well, it's good to have a few laughs because uh, they were in short supply here over the last bunch of days, but certainly a laugher for the Canucks against the Sens, and they see them two more times here. So uh, let's see where this team is. Let's see where the mood is uh, by the time that you and I get back together and record another VanCast. In the meantime, if you're looking for pot options, Ray Shiro, the GM of the New Jersey Devils, and Shane Doan of the Arizona Coyotes join Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, you can find that Wednesday uh, here at The Athletic, and I always say this at the end of each and every VanCast, too. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. We've got some good feedback for uh, the visit with Max Lapierre. That was fun, and we'll have some more guests as we go, but uh, kind of felt the need to be hyper-focused just on the Canucks and all that was going on with them uh, here for this one. But uh, when the season and the schedule breathes, we'll certainly uh, work some other guests back into the, prod- the podcast. Uh, rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple as well. And we appreciate your feedback there. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. You can actually get uh, another practice day, something that also has been in short supply with a heavy schedule. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's hand part, you know, part and parcel, but uh, the fact that uh, they were able to work on some things uh, on Sunday, and now they get another practice. I know coaches love practices. I don't know if the players do necessarily, but uh, uh, they get to work on some of the areas of deficiency in their game, and we'll see what they look like as they get back at it against the Sands. Oh, and before we run, I should uh, mention to uh, a bunch of thumbs up to uh, our buddy Graham. We got the care package. You got the jam. I got the syrup. So uh, thank My you, Graham. My wife was so pumped, by the way. She was like, yeah. cranberry marmalade? I was like, what are you, Paddington Bear? Like, do you need to get a blue duffel? Like, I've never seen someone so excited about marmalade. Because she didn't see it till this morning, right? Like, I came home, she was asleep, I wrote my column, and then she wakes up in the morning, she goes through the bag that I, you know, that I put yeah. aside. Cranberry marmalade? Oh, goodness. So it was, uh, it was a bright morning at the Drance household, or the Drance Paladino household. Thanks to you, Graham. Appreciate yeah. it, bud. All right, so you can't see it, but thumbs up from both of us here uh, at the VanCast. For Drancer, it's JPAT. Uh, as always, thanks for your support. We'll be back with another VanCast later in the week here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. <laughs>